Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that tells interesting stories of inspiring women. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Naomi, a vet by day and enthusiast of supporting and encouraging women and championing the successes of those who are doing great things in their chosen fields. My guest today is Iona Bain, award-winning financial journalist, writer and speaker, and founder of the Young Money blog, the first and only website dedicated to young people's finances. Financial journalism, let's face it, sounds pretty dry, but Iona is funny, relatable and passionate about helping women understand their options. She decodes the seemingly complex world of mortgages, pensions and investments and provides clear, straightforward guidance to those who read her work. She ventured down this path in a somewhat unusual fashion, though. In fact, she studied music at university and has no economic or financial background whatsoever. We spoke in the middle of the Beast from the East, remember that, during which she was snowed in in Edinburgh and I was snowed in in Suffolk, so the line is a little less than great given the conditions. You'll have to imagine we were both in an igloo, which is pretty much true. So, Ayanna, welcome to Smashing the Ceiling and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so, you started your blog uh, a few years ago. Uh, oh, and you were working as a musician, mm-hmm. and I heard a story that that was after you had your piggy bank stolen. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so I um, was living in my uh, parents' house at the time, which is where I grew up in Edinburgh, and I was working as a musician, and I was doing these gigs in Glasgow uh, with a singer, and I put all the savings from this uh, this opportunity that I'd had into my piggy bank, all, all the money that I don't over the piece went straight in there. And then I came home after one of these gigs, I went to my room and noticed it was completely ransacked. Uh, you know, the room was a total mess. And, and at first I thought, what has happened here? I didn't quite register the fact that, in fact, I'd been burgled and it was my room that had been targeted pretty much more than any other because it was God. upstairs. I know, it was just it was really bad luck as well because they went to my room obviously thinking well that's the sort of bedroom that's where all the kind of valuable jewelry might be um and actually there wasn't much in the way of valuable jewelry but there was this piggy bank which obviously was screaming out to be stolen <laughs> if you were uh, if you were unlucky enough to be bagged so that went i had a police officer come around later on take a description of the piggy bank and ask me whether it had like a curly tail and what color it was and all these questions and it was such a bizarre surreal moment and it made me realize that obviously this is no way to manage your money um you actually had to have a much more um sensible way of of valuing your earnings and it it, it did get me thinking and it and that along with the fact that as a musician um i'd hit a brick wall i hadn't really made that much progress or as much progress as i would have liked i was thinking about the future i just as just wasn't sure whether I was ever going to make a proper living as a musician. Uh, and I spoke to my parents about it. Um, they've always been a really good source of advice for me. And my mum was the one who came up with this suggestion of doing a blog about money because I'd been talking about it, actually, with her for quite a while. So when I first said to her, oh, my word, this is such a strange idea. What, what makes you think I could possibly do a blog about money? I've never really expressed an interest in writing about money. She said, well, actually, I think you are very interested in it. You're always bringing it up with me. You're always talking about, you know, your desire to be financially independent. You're obviously very worried about this generation following the financial crisis and how they're going to fare. And I think you could channel that into a blog that will perhaps be useful for other people. So we did our research and we found out that actually there wasn't really a young money blog out there. So I thought, well, okay, I've got nothing to lose. 
Um, I wasn't necessarily earning a huge amount as a musician at that time. So it didn't bother me that I wasn't going to be earning a huge amount as a blogger. And it was a new avenue. And it was, I would say, the best decision that I ever made because everything just followed from there. So you, so your background's in music and your, your undergraduate degree was in music. So how did you go about learning about finance in order to be able to write about it? Because that's, you know, a lot of people will have studied economics at some mm. point or had some experience of working in banking or whatever it may be. And obviously yeah. you're coming to that from a completely fresh and quite artistic perspective. Absolutely. Um, so how did you go about learning so that you can write about those sorts of subjects? Well, I learned as I went along. Um, and I was very lucky because uh, my dad was a journalist and he focused in the latter part of his career on um, finances. So I wasn't completely without a source of, of help and, and guidance in that area. But obviously, uh, you know, a lot changes in the financial world. It's not necessarily something that you can learn about, you know, one year and then never update your knowledge about. You have to keep learning as you go along anyway. So I found that I just had to, to research the topics that I thought were interesting to write about, researching very thoroughly, write the blog, and then just keep updating that knowledge as I went along. And, and as as time passed, I found that I was accumulating knowledge in all these different areas just by virtue of writing about it um, and trying to find jobs. You know, I uh, did start doing some jobs in financial media um, to really build up that experience. And that was helpful, even though I knew at the time those were stepping stone jobs and they wouldn't be forever. They still helped me with that process of learning. But I think, yeah. it's, a, I think it's a very common misconception that if you want to be, um, say, a financial journalist or an economic journalist, that you have to study uh, finances or, or economics at university. Um, I, I, I think that's a total myth, to be honest. Um, a huge number of young financial journalists I know haven't studied either of those subjects, and they generally learn a huge amount as they go into the industry and as they go along. And I think that what has mattered more for me is the ability to think creatively about this area and to identify how can people how how can I make this material and this area relatable to a young audience and that actually requires a lot of the artistic and creative skills that I picked up as a musician attitude our attitudes towards money in this country you know we often think oh you shouldn't people always say shouldn't talk about money it's Mm. like the last taboo you know we talk about sex more than we Mm. talk about money still in this day and age and do you think that our attitudes towards money as young people are, are very much guided by our parents or how do you think we, we learn as people to manage our own money? I think that it can start initially in the family home. So um, research shows that we tend to form our financial attitudes by the time we're six to eight years old. So it's very early, isn't it? Really, really early. And it just shows that you can pick up a huge amount in the family home from a very young age without even realising it. And then as we get older, I think that we do uh, perhaps become more influenced by our peers. I mean, it depends on just how close we are to our friends. But generally speaking, I think young people are very influenced by what their friends are doing and what their tribe is doing. And so we have to be aware of those influences. And I think my job has always been to try and help other young people understand what is influencing them to behave in the way that they do towards money so that they can separate themselves, maybe take some of the emotion out of it and some of the primal instinctive behavior out of it as well. There are some things that we do with money that we don't even fully 
understand they just happen and yet they can be very damaging you know impulsive spending um the 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 inability to delay gratification all these psychological phenomena are things that we know we should try and control or modify but they're so inbuilt and ingrained sometimes very very hard to do so for me understanding finances is every bit as uh, about being you know good at being aware of the psychology of money as it is about being good with maths and being able to do the sums and make it all add up I mean just in terms of the psychology of things you know so often young people um I hate the term millennials personally Mm. although I qualify as one no no just about (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know they they get a I feel that young people get an incredibly bad rap you know that that it's implied so often that you can't get a house because you're spending too frivolously on Mm. avocado brunches and whatever Mm. other crap people come up with yeah um and and it seems wholly unfair to people of a younger generation often who are um working terribly hard for wages that proportionally are maybe lower than Mm. the baby boomer generation perhaps it's such a complicated issue because as with all these debates there is um truth on both sides so um of course there are so many young people out there for whom getting on the housing ladder is a very very distant prospect partly because of where they're living there are huge regional variations when it comes to house prices uh, and the renting situation and that's one reason why i find it very frustrating when i see media coverage that says first time buyers cannot do this or young renters do that because they're generalizing it's a bit like the whole millennials generalization it's just not helpful to bundle everybody together in this one group and say that they are all affected by this trend it just depends on where you live how much money you earn whether you have support from your parents or not that's become a huge factor mm-hmm. if you've got the bank of mum and dad to back you up um, or if you can live with your siblings if you just have favorable family scenarios there it makes a huge difference as to whether you can get on the housing ladder or not. So there are those factors which have hopefully tried to make people aware of, especially those that are quick to say that it's all a a question of saving and and cutting back. But at the same time, I do think that today it is increasingly about hard choices. I think that if you do want to get on the housing ladder, it is possible. It's just that you are going to have to make more and more of those hard choices about where you live, what you spend your money on, and what your career is likely to look like, because if you then get on the housing ladder, the chances of you moving up it are actually not great. Um, you are going to have to stay put for a lot longer. Um, and it's not the be all and end all. It's not the right decision for everybody. And we, we seem to have got into a very, very property focused mindset, partly because we keep seeing house prices go up and we crave that security and stability that comes with owning a house. And I'm not immune from that either. It's been a huge aim in my life personally. But at the same time, it isn't the be all and end all and we shouldn't neglect our other financial priorities in the process. And we need to have it in perspective. I had a friend of mine text me the other day and say, I saw you on the TV talking about this. I feel so depressed about this whole issue. And I said to her, look, you've just moved to this new place. You're still finding your feet. And it may not be the right decision for you to start saving for a property in this area. Keep saving because it's the right thing to do for you and because you never know what will happen in the future. 
not because somebody else is telling you it's the right thing to do. And, you know, you and I are in a generation of women who have more choices than ever before. You know, so many more women of our age are financially independent. We Mm. have great career choices. Mm. Do you think women are more financially cautious than men or is that a fallacy? It's a really difficult question. I do think that the sheer the sheer weight of research that does suggest women take a different attitude to investing than men. I think we have to say there is a difference there and that women are more cautious. But perhaps the debate is around whether they are naturally like that or whether they are culturally conditioned to be mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I think generally speaking, we have a real problem with the gender prosperity gap in this country. And when I come across research um, that shows this marked difference between the number of young female investors and the number of young male investors, it's really shocking. And it points to a future where we're going to have young men so much more financially capable and, and independent and secure than women are. And, and so I, I, I would like to see some of the mainstream debate about the gender pay gap or equal pay move on to issues of gender prosperity, uh, equality, and and how we can get young women just as financially engaged and capable as men are. And unfortunately, I do think that um, part of the problem lies within the financial industry. I've been reflecting on this a lot recently. I sometimes go to events, and I'm the only female journalist who asks a question. I'm the only, you know, female journalist who will pick up on a point or challenge, um, I have to say, the men in the room, because this is mostly men. And although things are getting better, I'm starting to see more representation from women on industry panels, more female journalists writing about this subject. It's all fantastic, but it needs to continue. There needs to be much more progress. And it needs to be a change of mindset as well. You know, too often in my industry, I go to events or I come across um, men within the financial industry who feel like they have to mansplain to me about finance <laughs> and it is so so irritating because I you know I, I feel like saying I've been writing about this subject for seven years and although okay you might have been in the industry longer I have some interesting different fresh perspectives and if mm. only you would take some time to listen to those perspectives and respect them then you might learn something and you might start to create a financial industry that actually represents the world we live in, where it is half male and half female, as opposed to majority male. And so often um, with the gender pay gap, we know there's there's stats at the moment coming out from companies with more than 250 employees who are having to declare their gender pay gaps over mm. the next month or so, I think it is, isn't it? And, mm. you know, I was reading an article yesterday saying that these companies say, oh, well, of course, um, men earn more money than women their median pay hourly pay is is x amount higher than women's because we have more men at the top of the company Mm. and that's used as an explanation for why there is a gender pay gap in those companies rather than being recognized as that being a problem Mm. um you've obviously found that you know financial industry is traditionally a very male dominated um environment do you think that there is a tide of change swelling shall we say yes i do think that because i mean for instance over the last few months alone, I've been approached by so many more companies um, and event organizers asking for my perspective, not only because they see me as a young person, but because they see me as a woman. And it's a, a, a double whammy, really, for them, where they think, well, 
she'll be able to offer, you know, twice the the fresh perspective that we could get perhaps from that. Because unfortunately, it's one thing being a young woman in in financial services and in the financial media, and it's another being a confident, outspoken and independent um, young woman in that field and, and being prepared to say, this is my voice, I'm going to do something a bit different here. And I want to be heard and I want to be listened to. And it's funny you talked about the, the pay issues. I mean, recently I've started finding out um, about pay issues within my industry and realising that I've maybe not been paid what I should have been. And I don't know whether this is discrimination based on the fact that I'm a woman. I actually think it's more to do with the fact that I'm a young person. And possibly as a young woman, it's, you know, it's, it's doubled the, 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 the problem. So I've become so much more aware of the need to value my own worth and to ask that others value it too. Or at least the fact that here it is, I've, I've worked for this for seven years, I've built it up and I, I don't earn a huge amount of money. That's not ever been a priority for me. My, the, the worth that I, the value that I put on my career is not a financial one. It's, it's a social one. It's hopefully a, an educative one. It, I hope that it, you know, maybe does more good out there than, than what I could have done otherwise. Um, but if you don't value it, then others are not going to automatically value it either. Yeah, you have sure. to have very strong self-advocacy skills. It's all about how you talk about yourself as well as what you actually say. Yeah, and that's hard and it takes practice, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, to, to advocate on your own behalf. I was just going to say about um, bonuses is one of the other things, you know. So often um, it's this old line is trotted out about women are not confident enough to ask for a pay rise. Women mm. don't get as much of a bonus as a, as a man because they don't expect it. You mm. know, I've not recently found out that I was being paid less than some men in a similar position to me. Oh, right. And I think one of the... One of the things that it's taught me is to to talk to be more open and upfront with other women in a similar position to me about how much they earn, and you know actually this whole thing about money and salaries being a secretive thing mm. do you think that's holding women back? Do you think that we should be more open about discussing how much we earn in order to help one another and in order to advocate for other people definitely, although there will always be a problem whereby for instance, in my industry, I can't necessarily go to anybody else, whether they're a man or a woman, and say, okay, how much do you charge for this kind of service? Because they're possibly a competitor, and, and I quite understand why they might sure. not want to share that information. Sure. But also, um, I find that what I'm providing now, I don't necessarily find that there is an easy benchmark for what I do. I can't necessarily go online and research it. I can't really talk to other people. As far as I'm aware, I'm the only young woman who is doing this, <laughs> who's mm. talking specifically about young finances. So I really have to set sort of my own standards. But generally speaking, I think that being open about what what the issues are surrounding pay is totally important. For instance, I mean, this last week I've been on Twitter quite vocal about the fact that I've been approached by a company to give a talk for free or sorry for exposure. Um, and I really wanted to put this out there because I know that although I was a bit scared that people might think that I was a bit ruthless or or that I was trying to, you know, um, embarrass this company. I mean, I redacted all the information identifying them. But still, you have to overcome that unease that you feel, because actually, I think that I did some good there by saying to other young women, look, if you have a valuable service, 
you know, don't let anybody persuade you to give that up for free. It, it is entirely your right to ask that it be valued by companies seeking it. Um, so I think that that example shows how we need to be much more open talking about these issues. In terms of women working in the financial industry, do you mm. think that um, women are put off going into it because it's seen as being quite a testosterone fueled? I'm thinking kind of like trading floors and banking mm. and that mm. economics. It's traditionally seen as quite sort of sooty. Um, do you do you think that there's things that can be done to to encourage more girls, particularly at school level, you know, young women, um, to to make it a more kind of attractive uh, career option or, you know, maybe either in the financial or economic journalistic sense or, or just in the financial world, as the, the wider financial world. I hope that there are enough really strong, um, confident female voices within the financial world now who are persuading young women that it, that it is an industry for them. I, I hope that's the case. I, I don't know if it is or not. But where I do think that, a critical difference can be made is in financial education because generally speaking we have people leaving school today who do not understand what debt is not really not really understanding what happens if you take out a credit card and if you don't make those um, minimum repayments each month or what happens even if you do make those minimum repayments how you are prolonging the life of your debt compared to just paying the credit card off each month it's astonishing to me that people could be, you know, flung into the world without any understanding of how our complex consumer economy works. And that's one reason why I want to set up the blog. And I think if you teach young people about their money, because it's a universal, there's so many things about math and, and English and history and things that I don't remember. And I can't say that they are massively holding me back in my life just now. <laughs> but I think every person needs to know about money because it will affect everybody. And they it cannot seems bonkers offer. that it's not on the school curriculum, really, doesn't well, it? Well, yeah, I mean, it is technically there, but it's not been taught in every school for various reasons. It, it Really, you have to have a teacher who's enlightened enough to champion it to, to really get through um, and be given a priority. And I think that once young people learn about finances, naturally, a certain percentage of them who have the right skill sets to go either into financial services or the financial media will naturally consider that more as a career option so I think that's where we we need to to get to having more financial education that will as a result inspire more young people and young women to go into the financial industry but I'm a bit uneasy about the idea of doing anything more to make financial services female friendly apart from of course just having more women there who are visible who are willing to to speak up and say I'm here I'm doing this I'm not letting anybody put me off or tell me that I don't deserve to be able to talk about these issues and and hopefully we'll communicate in that way that, that it's not a space that's exclusively for men yeah sure sure I was just thinking back to my school days and I don't remember money being mentioned once I mean mm. I'm sort of fortunate that I'm from a family of strong women who've always mm. worked and it's been drummed into me from an early age that you know women must have their own um, incomes and it's really important yeah. that you can stand on your own two feet and you should always mm. save and all these kind of good mantras. I think back to the way that I was brought up. I mean, um, I, my mum didn't have a career, um, but she's always said to me, make sure you can stand on your own two feet and be financially independent. And I think that's where we need to be concentrating our efforts if we're going to help more women feel confident in this area. Because I have to say, I take great issue with most of the 
financial coverage aimed at women and young women in particular, I find it to be a lot of the time really patronising and simplistic. And it, it, it doesn't give women credit for their intelligence and their ability to actually grasp very complicated issues. It, obviously, it's important that we use the right tone and language and we don't use jargon that puts anybody off, let's face it. But I don't think we need to be making copious references to Monaro Blahniks and handbags and clothes and, and, and makeup and, and, you know, these issues in order to make it relatable. I think if we talk about financial independence, and the fact that as a strong, confident young woman, you need to be on top of your finances. If you make it, if you make it seem really appealing on that level, then I think you're going to get somewhere. You can hear there that Iona is clearly a passionate advocate of improving women's attitudes and knowledge about finance. But as well as women, she also writes a lot for young people, particularly those in their 20s and 30s. I'm 34, I'm really lucky and I do own a house, but I rarely use anything other than an ISA for saving purposes and I find the idea of playing the stock market absolutely terrifying. I asked Iona whether actually our generation is missing a trick by underestimating stocks and shares as a method of investing our money. Totally. Um, But I have to say that it's a failing on the part of the financial industry for not doing more to reach out to those younger investors or, or would-be investors and, and make the case to them and, and make them realise that it is entirely relevant to them. Um, and I would never want to say that investing is easy. It isn't easy. It isn't, you know, entirely straightforward. That would be, that would be you know, misconstruing that area. But I would say that it isn't as scary and as difficult and as impenetrable as um, it's often made out to be. But like I say, the financial industry could be doing so much more. I am starting to see some initiative from certain uh, fund houses where they're creating websites. They're just explaining the basics of investing. What is it? How do the stock markets work? What is a share? What is a bond? These very, very basic questions that most people have, um, that at the moment, it's, it's quite difficult to find out the answers to those questions, um, which is really surprising, I think, in 2018 and with the Internet. Um, there needs to be a, a sort of centrally trusted resource where lots of people can go and find out the answer to those questions. I'm certainly trying to do my bit through the blog, um, but the answers are out there. It's just unfortunately you do have to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of research, um, find out these answers for yourself. Um, but once you do that research and once you put in that investment of time, it will start to seem less scary um, and more accessible. And I recommend it. I've been doing investing myself in the last year or so and it has helped me have a greater peace of mind because it's made me feel like I'm taking care of the future and that I am keeping my options open and that I'm not leaving everything to chance or living too much in the here and now. It's um it's interesting it's a little bit along the lines of the whole idea about pensions you know I'm in my early 30s and people keep saying oh you should have you know your pension should be ready like if you you know you need to start paying into a pension and da, 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 da. yeah and actually the whole concept of people saying to me and I'm sure it's the same for a lot of other young people mm. if you haven't started your pension by the time you're 25 or 28 or whatever it might be mm. that you're never going to have any money when you retire and yeah. that is a very scary prospect for young people I think isn't it absolutely you have really identified so many issues there Um, that really sum up the whole problem with pensions today. It's the fact that the pensions industry 
which has itself not really been whiter than white, um, telling young people you are going to have to save so much more for your retirement than your parents did due to a combination of factors, but a lot of it is to do with things that are completely outside of your control. The fact that we don't have those generous pensions in the workplace, the fact that um, the state pension is very unlikely to be as generous as it is at the moment in the future, the fact that you're going to be working for longer and living longer, even though there's a lot of doubt now and quite a lot of debate around how widespread the longevity trend will be. In some parts of the country, people won't be living as long. Mm. Um, and there will be some people who won't be able to work for longer. Um, and I think that a big problem is a lack of information about what pensions are um, and what your rights are when it comes to pensions either. And this is my big problem with auto-enrollment, which is this um, initiative which has seen millions of young workers really compelled to save into a pension for the first time. They get automatically enrolled into workplace pensions. You can opt out, but it's quite hard. It's quite a lot of hassle. And so people just end up through sheer um, apathy and inertia being enrolled in pensions that they don't understand. Mm. Um, and what happens if they move from that workplace to another workplace? Well, they leave that pension behind. And there's no mechanism to bring all those pensions together in one place at the moment. So you could end up having... 12 pension pots by the end of your career all of them pretty small and not doing that much for you and then the actual contributions you're making into the pension are not going to be enough to give you the retirement maybe that you're expecting so there's so many problems right now with the pensions world and unfortunately I would say the only remedy on the part of individuals is to say okay I can't rely purely on my workplace pension I'm going to have to invest of my own accord and maybe people need to be looking more widely at the options that are available to them. You've got the Lifetime ISA, which can help you save for your first home as well as for your eventual retirement. That, in many cases, might be a good option to have as well as your workplace pension. Um, and you can at least have some control over your investments in that and feel a little bit more empowered with it too. But I think there needs to be lots of changes in the pensions world to alleviate some of these concerns that you rightly raised in, in your question. And, and I don't think they're working very well for young people at the moment. No, no. It's, um, I think that you're doing fantastic work, Iona, in terms of helping young people navigate through this because I think for a lot of people just find the whole world of finance and personal finance just very confusing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many acronyms and so much jargon like you mentioned that a lot yeah. of people are just very turned off and yeah. and actually the work that you do is really great in in terms of helping people to to kind of muddle their way through it all you know oh, well thank you I mean I I don't profess to be the world's expert on any of this stuff really I'm I'm the same as anybody I'm I don't come from that traditional financial background I'm learning as I go along and I'm I'm a normal and so when I try to write about these things Hopefully, I don't get too um, caught up in all the jargon and think of myself too much as being a financial expert. I hate the word expert. I think it's so overused and often not merited. For me, I would rather come across like I'm just like anybody else who just happens to have been a bit weird and taken more of an interest <laughs> in it than others. And hopefully what I've found out or, or what I've gleaned can be of use. But it's also conveying that often there aren't any right answers in the sense of there isn't any one way to do it. 
there isn't somebody out there, not even me, who's got it all perfectly down pat. That's just not how it works. It's about managing it to suit you, to suit your circumstances, to suit your personality and, and to fit your goals in life and to just have more of that information. My, my, my attitude with the blog is provide the information and people are intelligent enough to make up their own minds and draw their own lessons from it um, rather than telling people what to do. So much good advice in there. And thank you so much to Iona for joining me on the podcast. If you feel like you're constantly chasing your tail on credit cards, if you have no idea how best to save money, or you just think you could do things better, then I strongly suggest you check out Iona's website at youngmoneyblog.co.uk or follow her on Twitter at Iona Young Money. I promise you it's well worth a good read and you'll learn loads. That's all for this time. And thank you for joining us too. You've been listening to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Meller. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a lovely review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing the Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next time.